0: Hey, 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 it's Fay O'J and you're tuned into a bonus episode of The Motion. If you're new to The Motion, this is a podcast where we get conversation moving in the best way possible, and that's for a twist of an academic-style debate. From music to culture to politics to fashion, this podcast is guaranteed to get your emotions in motion, and that is not changing today. What is changing, however, is the fact that I will not be hosting today's episode. In the lead-up to season three, we've given the show away to some really exciting guest hosts. The format remains the same. They'll be joined by guests with conflicting opinions who enter into an intellectual tug of war to sway the guest host's vote to their side of the motion. They chose their topics, they chose their guests. I am literally here, like you, to sit back, relax and enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Motion Podcast hosted by Emmanuel. Emmanuel is a software engineer by day and all a philosophical thinker. He shows this on his podcast, The Intellectual Ignorant Podcast. He's also a photographer and describes himself as a chop life ambassador.
1: Welcome to another episode of The Motion. My name is Emmanuel. Today's episode, we have quite a juicy and interesting title. What is shaping the future of the human condition, man or machine? Whether the things that sort of push the current digital revolution, are actually powered by our own human uh, choices, or more so the machines and technologies themselves. Today's guests are going to be Kendrick and Danielle. So I'm going to give you guys a chance to introduce yourselves.
2: Hello guys, my name is Kendrick. Right now, I am soul searching. I'm trying to find myself amongst everything. I'm a mechanical engineer by degree, tech enthusiast by passion, entrepreneur by by life, really, and started my own startup, which also died with COVID.
3: Hi, everyone. My name's Danielle. I am a recent graduate. Well, really, I should say like digital graduate because I guess I didn't actually do my graduation ceremony. Currently working as a wacky marketer in a big tech company. That's not my exact job title, but I work in the culture surrounding tech, basically.
1: Okay, terrific. What do you think about the topic and what, what side of the motion are you on today?
2: Tech machine being the one to have the greatest impact, the real sort of shaper and enabler of the human condition. What makes humans humans? From when we are birthed to the period in which we grow to the period in which we die. It's come to the point where we cannot undermine the impact of tech, number one. We can't disregard the kind of future implications that it will have. Even if we were to stop all sorts of developments, I'd say right now, there will still be another, maybe five, six, seven years, maybe 10 years even of actual growth that we'll experience from the knowledge that we have now.
3: When we say man or machine, my argument is essentially that we shouldn't have an or between man or machine technology is anything that makes your life easier it's very difficult to conceptualize human life without technology because the two belong together and when i say that i don't mean that we should all you know start wearing like bionic chips or anything but machinery is a massive part of technology and there isn't a way for us to outrun it everyone likes to kind of conceptualize the technical world as this big bad place of like you know algorithms and codes and things that come alive in the nighttime and listen to you and use all your information Against you And I'm not saying that doesn't happen, but there isn't a way for us to separate ourselves from that at the moment. And I don't necessarily think there should be. And we naturally seek convenience as a species. That's not going to stop anytime soon. If you look at like the continent of Africa, for example, they're kind of there, you know, as if I'm not African. What a joke. <laughs> what I mean to say is for people who live on the continent, they completely skipped the generation of having landline telephones. They moved straight onto mobile. That in itself shows that technology isn't something that is this far away, distant, abstract thing of robots. It's very much here and it's very much in the now. I don't think that it's the leading kind of force in, I don't know, the long march towards progress for humanity, I think man is still the leading force because man is still very much kind of the brains behind everything and it's ultimately for us, by us.
1: Technology is basically things that we use right now that we don't fully understand the way I see it, right? So, things that we're coming to understand how they really work, and that's what really pushes the avant garde of human development, in my opinion, right? So, something that we should embrace. But the question is, what direction are we taking it, right? Um, so, we'll explore that a bit more. I want to ask what you think, your understanding definition what the human condition is and how you think uh, tech affects the human condition.
2: Pre-industrial revolution, a lot of our interactions were solely down to physical interactions, you know what I'm saying? Whilst as we've moved on, you you could jump into a car or jump into a train to go and, and, and link someone before even the introduction of wi-fi and the internet those sort of interactions and a number of stimuluses that we're exposed to are much more significant predominantly due to the developments within technology which has contributed to shaping that human condition
1: so daniel you said that you know tech can facilitate african development we've almost seen a leapfrog of certain uh, technological changes on the on the continent other less developed places where they're not going through the same cycles that We've seen the rest of the developing or developed world go through.
2: The point made about Africa and, and other sort of less economically developed countries very, very significant to this debate because it contributes to the the aspect of growth. When Danielle said uh, man is the driver behind all of that innovation, all of the technology, yes. But you see whereby that, that innovation that we experience is down to the growth of man actually learning and becoming capable of facilitating those things. A great enabler of that is technology. In one report that I, I read by Bill Gates and his home, and then when we talk about inclusive growth, it looks at education, jobs created, well-being. And when you look at emerging continents such as Africa, Central and Latin America, and also large parts of Asia, those are the main regions in which there is a significant lack of. And when you compare it to other places such as the UK, the main driver or the main enabler of that Is technology. So, what are your opinions on that, Daniel?
3: First of all, I would just like to say these two have revealed their true selves in what they're saying because they're trying to even apply that Africa is behind I don't believe that I think that you know if we look at the current pandemic we're in Ghana was the first country to trial the drone deliverance of medication to help people who have um, COVID right I think that technology comes from innovation and innovation sometimes comes from need or lack so when we talk about Africa being less economically developed I would argue that that lack of you know educational development economic development creates actual conditions for the best kind of innovation.
1: Being the ones to come up with uh, technical innovations, I think we do. But, you know, we're not the main driver of, I guess, technical growth on the forefront of technology. On that front, Daniel, you mentioned that, you know, technological developments sometimes come from a lack. But my question now is that what about technological developments from a desire? All right. So as humans, who and what do we actually desire to be and to become like? So Kendrick touched on the point of, you know, um, economic prosperity, well-being, et cetera. So I think in the West, we can see that most countries are economically prosperous. So in in that sense, what sort of things are we iterating or developing technology for?
3: To take like a more philosophical stance, I would say if we look at like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? I'm going to (laughs) list the points of it just really, really quickly so we can all know. Top one is self actualization, esteem, love and belonging, safety needs and physiological needs. So the first two I mentioned, self actualization, esteem and to an extent love and belonging, are things and pursuits that we can essentially acquire via technology right so if we look over at kind of sneaker culture you know something comes out and it sells out in two minutes because everyone's got a bot and they're able to buy it when we look at things like that technology is very much driven by man in that case because these bots that buy these sneakers and sell things out and drive up the price with resellers, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, are things that we want for ourselves. What were the Dior Ex jordan Those, right? Do you know? I actually believe <laughs> that only five people in the world actually own them, and that everything else is a fake. But anyway, the point of that is to say that when we have things like this, who's it for? Who's it by
4: us?
1: On that sneaker culture, right? Especially last couple of years, two years or so, I see everybody's into Jordans everybody's into the next drop, everybody's into et etc. But two, three years ago, it definitely wasn't like that, right? And I think um, part of that is actually the rise of social media and everybody's seeing sort of what other people are doing, right? So on the topic of desire, right, do we really control our own desires as humans, right? Or is it the fact that we're so influenced by desires of things that we see, network effects, right, which are amplified by social media? Do we really want what we want or do we want what we think we want, which isn't really what we want? Sorry to convolute that.
3: You know how you mentioned how two, three years ago, Yeezys weren't as popping, Jordans weren't as popping, blah, blah, blah. I would say that they were popping, but it was very much like a cult thing, right? So it was like, if you were in, you were in. If you knew, you knew. Now I would say that in places like China, for example, people have given up on the idea of kind of physically being able to acquire these sneakers or physically having the pair in a box in their room that they would display when their friends come around. And there's actually a new platform whereby you can virtually purchase sneakers and virtually display them. So you still pay the same price for them. So you still own them, but you don't have them physically. You display them on a shelf that is yours. That in itself shows that like, we still haven't left the things that make us feel good. And the things that make us feel good, we continue continue to design to make us feel
1: good. It's not necessarily technology is choosing what we want, but it's actually what we want being amplified and being, I guess, made more visible because of technology, right? It's actually human desires and capabilities to actually drive these changes, right? Kendra, let me let you um sort of defend that point because that's really kind of pulling me into Daniel's side of the argument now.
2: Everything that you mentioned was down to what? Technology. People being able to access the technology to put out this sort of version of themselves out there. Humans will be humans in terms of how we function neurologically biologically if we t- take the brain for example when you look at the effect of social media what people really love from social media is the positive attention this is a tough word man ventral tegmental area of your brain is one of the primary parts that is responsible that's responsible for determining the rewards system in people's bodies when social media users that receive positive feedback through likes your brain fires off dopamine and in doing that, you you know, you get that feel-good feeling. Back in the day, like you said, if you wanted to purchase sneakers, you'll go there in person, go and purchase it, and there'll be a select few who will be proper, proper sneakerheads. The reason why there's been a significant shift is because of the hyper hyper realization of the world and everyone within so within it realizing, oh, this person has this, this person has that. And that is connected because of number one, the technology that we have access to in wi-fi that that connects us in, in the internet that connects us to everyone else social media that puts up allows us to communicate with people way across the globe although humans come up with this and come up with that at the basis of it all the impact of technology in comparison to the impact of humans right now is is much more significant
1: should we allow the impact of technology should be greater the impact of our own human thinking right are the things which are being amplified by technology the desires that are being amplified by technology are they actually good for us and where we end up as a human species right an interesting point to danielle's argument where we the man is the machine right it's almost as if we are part of the matrix like our environment has become technological right and there's no way to get rid of uh, things which sort of come before or after right so where then do we are we able to really sort of pick which ones are us and which ones aren't and can we so easily discard things which are us and like aren't us anymore like is that more difficult or easier to do
3: when you said the man becomes the machine i mean like yeah sure of course it sounds really good right but i still think there is a fundamental distinction between man and machinery simply because machinery has no sense of self right Alexa will say she knows what she is, but does Alexa have actual consciousness to know and understand what she's built for? Within that dynamic, I think the relationship between man and machinery is always one of power. I think it's in programming, right? They have like a, there's a master server and there's like a slave server, right? Those are the words for it. It's not, it sounds very strange to say in the workplace, but that, that exists, right? That master-slave complex I wouldn't say it's the same exact one that we have with technology, but we always have the power. That's why Amazon is as big as it is, because power is intrinsically built into that relationship. When Amazon builds these massive scanners that, you know, people can use at the warehouse to to deliver people's prime deliveries the next day, that is a relationship of power. The machines don't get to sleep. They don't have a lunch break. Neither do the actual employees. But um, anyway...
1: oh that's hilarious my
3: point is that we still are in control because we're still doing the thinking we haven't lost control yet
2: if we're talking about what shapes the condition both man and machine can shape condition what has the most significant impact in this day and age i'd say is machine with the master server we still are very much in control it's not about so much so control because even when you look at control there is systems whereby we are having to make policies to react to technology. When Uber came into the scene and introduced that that new sort of technology for ride sharing and whatnot, new regulations had to be made in order to accommodate that. So whereby we're talking about shaping the condition, humans are kind of being responsive to the developments that are being made within technology. The way we, we as humans can affect one another is really, really much catalyzed by technology right
1: now. I want you guys to almost, like, sort of go back and forth amongst each other. So I'm going to part the question, and so we of hear what you guys think amongst yourselves, right? Kind of directly face off against each other, right? Can a single human remove themselves from the matrix, from the technological sort of grip? And if a single human removes themselves, what does it mean for them, like, as a sovereign individual? And does that mean that they're excluded from society? It's a social fabric, fundamentally technological. A
3: single human being can attempt to remove themselves from technology, but it wouldn't (laughs) last very long. And that in itself, that removing themselves from technology would be a step backwards in evolution.
2: Okay. What do you think of that, Kendrick? 100%. Someone could detach themselves completely from technology and last a whole lifetime. However technology will still come to your doorstep. In order to really, really eradicate yourself from technology, you would have to find yourself in
1: one of the most distant parts of the world that nobody has touched yet. So who is responsible for consumer technology? The user or the designer? The designer is responsible. I disagree. Designers are enablers. I feel like humans, were way more complex than sometimes we understand. And machines can be sort of understood. We're getting to the point AI where Certain approaches that machines are more complex than even humans can understand right now, right? So are we sort of, sort of changing ourselves by integrating with ourselves with something that's sort of below our developmental level, which actually isn't as complex and advanced as us, right? And can't actually capture all the elements of what we need and who we need to be to be human by saying that, you know, it's man and machine.
3: I don't think we're reducing ourselves. The reason I say that is because my definition of technology encompasses a lot more than phones and code. So, for example, near India, there's an island called the North Sentinel Islands. They're completely um, locked off from humanity. People are not allowed to go there. And um, their main method of kind of um, hunting uh, generally is like a humongous bow and arrow that's like five foot. They can literally shoot at helicopters. It's mad. I advise everyone to Google it. That in itself is a form of technology technology right and when we think about technology as this far ahead thing that's you know this onwards march of robots it's essentially a misconception because i would argue that technology is very much fused with who we are at a very basic level
1: should should we seek to evolve all humans in the same direction or should other humans sort of seek to evolve in a different direction because with technology right now there's always becoming a homogeneous human right everybody's becoming the same thinking the same doing the same liking the same things based on the fact that we're all connected right and it's kind of all evolving to one singular point where we almost lose a, a sense of humanity, is my, is my opinion, right? So is technology actually enabling us to be human or less human by becoming singular? And does the human disappear when we're all the same, right? And in that case, we, we lose the idea of what it means to be human.
3: We're all human, but our needs are different, right? So that's why people need different things. People use different apps. People have different preferences. That in itself is an expression of a certain level of individualism. The fact that somebody might prefer LinkedIn and somebody else might prefer Clubhouse, right? We have different Mm -hmm. needs and we express that through our preferences. Your uh, question about the designer and the user who has more responsibility, I would always point towards things being by design. Things are made the way they're made. They don't exist in a vacuum. There's always implications. That's why, um, you know the guy who came up with the Angry Birds game? How he took it off the app store because people started like killing themselves over it, quite literally, unfortunately. That is... Essential proof that when you make something, it's stuck to you. Do you know what I mean? It has implications. When we express our creativity and all of these things, it doesn't exist in a vacuum. It has real world implications. So the responsibility is always on quite literally the man.
2: When it comes to that, what the person created was essentially a game to make people happy. When you create a tool for one thing, you can't take it that people won't use it for something else. When the hammer was to help workmen nail things into the wall, They didn't suspect that someone could use that as a tool for killing. And so, like you said, humans have different needs. And I don't think the blame should fall solely upon the designer. The designer has one sort of goal in creating what they create.
1: A fundamental part of human nature is um, access to privacy. Online, because we are not necessarily in control of the the things that we use online, we don't control necessarily privacy to a certain degree, right? So even though we can say our our accounts or whatever we're using on private, for example, I'm missing an echo right on my table right now. At a switch of a button, whenever Amazon want, they can start tapping into that data. I don't have control over what point that I lose my privacy. I don't have control over what point I lose my freedom as an individual on that front, right? And, you know, Twitter, for example, they can read everybody's DMs. It's only by God's grace they're not publishing what we're all saying. Do you get Should they publish, right? Is it a fact that, you know, they should be concerned with what some some people are thinking? Because sometimes law enforcement agencies such as FBI otherwise, right, actually go to these companies, right, to actually to get tips and leads on what people are thinking, right? And it's good because it helps society sort of keep safer where we can detect things like um, terrorist activity a bit a bit earlier. But, like, is that reducing an element of human condition, how it's actually fundamentally supposed to be? Is that good for us or, or not so good for us, right?
2: Twitter sharing things that are happening within a terrorist group chat to the FBI to then mitigate a ter- terrorist attack, is that not pro- prolonging human life? That's definitely going to shape human conditioning whereby we have active forces in, in place that kind of prevent certain things from happening. It can contribute to people being more cunning and more innovative and finding other new ways of, of interacting, such as VPNs. Technology is the biggest enabler of those things.
3: Are these capabilities not already built into these apps? The fact that Twitter can, well, if they so choose to, might need to access somebody's DMs, that's a built-in capability. When these designers make things, like these essentially built-in capabilities are there because they've, I would argue that they've considered that, you know, if we need to use it to do this, worst case scenario, this is how we would do it. It's not something that just kind of comes about or is an accident or is unintended. There's a lot of, I think, intention behind, especially technology, because it's always built for something.
2: really and truly, a lot of technological developments is to solve a need if we look at the technological developments that are made it's always to solve a specific goal whereby they pick their first opportunities from the use of that technology that just leads to other things for us to in- innovate and grow they made alexa alexa was a voice assistant the same way i mean she, she's my friend so I, I you know i chat to her sometimes so that's why i believe in it when we look at a lot of things that we we're creating right now an ulterior motive you can say is to harvest data, but the use of that data that can contribute again to the shape to shaping the human condition, and that that's what I'm I'm sticking to in, in the debate that we're having is that technology is is the one that is shaping more more things within society than actually humans itself. Humans are, I guess, the the back drivers behind it all. But to, sorry, to what was that? Is...
3: Sorry, you just said humans are the back drivers <laughs> behind it all. Okay,
1: it seems like Danielle may be convincing on her side, and I feel like if she's convincing on her side, maybe I'm, I'm on your side there, uh, Danielle, as well. I feel like you, you may be um, sort of coming back to the point that, you know, fundamentally, humans that kind of drive the desire to innovate in a particular way.
2: Not necessarily driving the desire, but when you have a specific subject matter, humans are the subject matter, and technology is the catalyst that allows us to reach the, the reaction that we want, the end goal. Do you know what I'm saying?
1: Kendra, I feel like I need to back you a bit more. You don't need to back me, man. Let's change the discussion a bit, right? Um, only you have to face of on, on transhumanism, right? So basically, I did that, you know, like things like Alexa, how human is Alexa? We're replacing human things with things which like, can't actually mimic human capability and they shouldn't really try to mimic human capability at all. Or like other machines, sort of a good mimicry for what it means to be human, etc., right? So
3: I think when we talk about transhumanism, It actually just makes my point even more pertinent, especially in popular culture from the depictions of kind of transhumanism that we've seen. If you look at the series Altered Carbon on Netflix, it's a really good reference for this kind of thing all these built-in um, chips that the characters have, right, all these things that extend their consciousness, that make them live longer, that enable them to switch bodies, which are referred to as sleeve, they are all to extend their life, right? So they design these things, they keep the data, they sell it to people, um, usually rich people who can, um, you know, give them money or something like that in exchange. And what is made accessible to poorer people is actually, like, less quality versions of the same hardware, I should say. When we look at that, right, the fact that, in the show right the poorer people still want new bodies new sleeves new consciousness and the richer people still want it the fact that everybody wants it and that everybody's kind of trying to get it by all means possible does that not indicate that this is something that mankind is still chasing this kind of everlasting uh, immortality thing that we just won't give up on
1: if we're just, like, changing sleeves, then we're just, not a human front for the machines that are really, truly behind us that are kind of actually in control what we're doing, right? And we, we think we're in control, but we're just, like, it's like makeup on the pig, right? Or is it a thing where, like, the sleeve is the control and the machine isn't really that powerful?
3: I still think the human is still, um, in that case, would be the ultimate kind of controller because they are the ones who sought out the sleeve, looked at it, des- um, designed it chose it and then kind of put it on if you know what i mean my concern is that when we keep saying that you know it's the machines it's the machines it's the technology how do you assign blame or responsibility to something that has no consciousness and therefore isn't really alive
1: right we can look at trying to integrate consciousness with machines right so isn't that the whole point of AI? So AI is trying to get to the point where it can make intelligent decisions on the same level as humans, right? And we're not at that point yet, but we want to be at that point, right? So let's say we are at that point now. Is that the point that you think we've lost control? Or is that a point where we're still in control to a certain degree? And how do we measure where we've lost control? We still we still are in control.
3: I Honestly speaking, I don't think we can measure the exact point at which we've lost control. I think a certain part of innovation is risk and not knowing exactly what will happen. The risk is accepting that I've designed this thing, but as this thing, essentially, as it's... It's now designing me? No. As this thing's life progresses, right, and other people have impact on it, you might create a newer version of the same game or something like that, it will change. And that at some point, if I become, quote-unquote, so um, attached to this thing that I've created that is still mine... I will just accept it because I've created it.
1: You know, sometimes certain decisions that we make, right, is, is the idea of uh, certain technologies know us better than ourselves, right? There's a separation between human consciousness and human uh, sapience, which is basically, like, how well we, uh, we're able to think for ourselves, right? We feel like we want something, but a machine can actually observe our patterns and our behaviours and has collected data on us and knows which way we actually would prefer it. So, right, So suggests of that the machines are actually better for us than our, or our idea of what we want.
2: An example of that is um, in... you call unsupervised learning just understanding patterns and clusters within existing data if you go on amazon and you were to purchase this it will make recommendations based on what other people have purchased and that is coming from predominantly the data that is extrapolated from humans as a whole and that's a large pool of data that is tapped into that recommendation is basically to say you're buying a printer you're going to need printing and someone who perhaps is is just going to buy a printer because they know they need to buy a printer. If you're the first person buying a printer and jump on Amazon, someone's told you buy a printer on Amazon, you'll just buy the printer. But what Amazon will tell you is you need to buy a printer with it because someone might not know that that's something that goes with it.
3: I I appreciate those strides in technology. Well, I don't appreciate the ad suggestions, but I can appreciate, like, the intelligence that goes into it. However, I don't think a machine can ever know a human being better than they know it themselves. I don't believe that the things that are suggested to you for you to buy on Instagram tap into, like, a subconscious level of things that they think you want. I think it's just a way to make more money. I don't think that a machine's capability or technology's capabilities can go so far as to almost develop this like semi-consciousness where you know they can tell you things that you wouldn't know about yourself they don't have access to memory so how would they fully shape your preferences in that much of an intimate way
1: is there other cases where he can make better decisions for us in humans you can look at um assisted sort of medical diagnostics right where you can say your doctors know stuff and they've learned but the machine can make a better decision for the doctor in that case right
2: that was what i was gonna tap into in that not all humans are doctors not all humans again have the capabilities um to know exactly what goes on inside their body however an mri scan you'll be able to see certain things that are happening within your body with ai now there's information and data that's been collected because of ai and deep learning and the significant steps we've made in technological development that has allowed for a deeper analysis and a deeper insight into technology being able to actually predict and be highly accurate as to what is happening within a human body.
1: It sounds like there's a lot that we can explore talking about this topic and there's so much more we can get into. I'll give you guys a chance to frame your your closing statements or remarks. So one thing to try and really convince me onto your side of emotional.
3: Well, Emmanuel, I know that you're a programmer, right? So I know the whole master-slave server thing is really, really, really going to dig into your brain. As somebody who has the background you have, I I think you know what side to come down on. Not in the sense that we are the masters and the machines are the slaves, but one party is much more in control of the other. I'll leave it there.
2: Technology has shaped Society has shaped economy, has shaped everything, and it's moving really, really rapidly for us. The synergy of man and machine means that there's a whole dependency on machine, and that dependency will also continue to affect us as humans for generations to come.
1: So I came into this debate, kind of as Daniel said, you know, I understand how much so the designers have an impact on how machines are creating their capabilities and abilities, right? But also another side of me was really thinking, as designers, as humans, do we really know how much capability we actually program into these machines, right? And at what point can we measure that we lose control? I think as we touched on, you know, it's not very clear how we can measure whether we lost control or not. And as Kendrick said, we have a fundamental dependency on these machines which we almost can't separate ourselves from. I'm still slightly undecided on this motion and I can't really conclude Which side to fall on? Although it has been an interesting debate, I'm probably more leaning towards the side of, you know, the machines are driving us towards a singularity point. Um, But it's interesting to, to, to think about how much as humans we are contributing to that. And maybe as a human condition, that is who we want to be.
0: It's a big question, man versus machine. So to kind of try and do that in half an hour is obviously a really hard task. But based on this conversation, I think I definitely assign uh, more to the fact that humans are the main drivers. And I was even thinking about the coronavirus period. I mean, how can you not think about it and how boring social media is these days? Because everyone's at home and I think before there was a lot of talk of our generation you know being so drawn and so obsessed with social media but I think that we really are obsessed with experiences and sharing that via social media but I think it starts with the experience because these days, looking at everyone's stories, like I'm genuinely bored. I don't actually like want to look at my phone. I'd rather like do cooking and actually doing things with my hands than just looking at people doing nothing with my phone. And I think that just shows that we are still driven by experiences. It's just technology enhances it for us and like makes those experiences easier for us or changes the nature which we experience through VR and through AR. So I think it's definitely an enhancement rather than a replacement. I don't think you can replace a human like j with a machine. Jokes aside, I. Don't- I don't think you can replace any human with a machine. So I'd say that humans are definitely the main driver and that's where I stand with this debate. This is our last guest host episode. We will be back with season three of the motion on the third of March at the emotion underscore on instagram at the emotion pod underscore on twitter and email us at the motion podcast at gmail.com really exciting things planned for this season and i'm not just saying that you have no idea what they are if you don't follow us so follow us and save the date and do not forget to stay safe and stay at home we need to get out of this pandemic we can only do it if we you know stay together and um the government who actually wants us to stay out. What? Who said that? Listen, this is why I don't talk too much in this podcast. Because I reveal my true self. I'm hoping the music has stopped now. You're not listening at this point. Goodbye, see you on the third of March where I will be back in full swing.
4: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why?